Well, perhaps one of the most common sermon topics related to living the Christian life is one that you've heard before, one that you've read before, called Taming the Tongue. Now, I've seen it on more than one outdoor church bulletin board through the years, and curiosity always prompts me to want to go and hear that sermon, and I'll tell you why. It's because I know that that sermon promises something that it cannot deliver. Take a look. James chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. All kinds of animals and birds and reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But here it is. No man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So taming the tongue, well, friends, it's, it's just not possible because the tongue will always retain its destructive potential. And that is precisely why it must be controlled. Now, what's the difference, you might ask? Aren't taming the tongue and controlling the tongue really the same thing? Actually, no, they're not. Now, they're the same idea, but they're not the same thing. Think of it as the difference between a tame lion and a controlled lion. If I gave you the choice between being in a cage with a tame lion or a controlled lion, which one would you choose? Now, the tame lion, the tame lion would be loose in his cage, and he still has all his teeth, and he still has his claws. He's completely unrestrained, but, but hey, he's tame, right? Now, in the other cage, the lion is not tame, but the lion is controlled. He's sedated. He's, mud he's muzzled. All four paws are bound together. Listen, I would choose being with the controlled lion over the tame lion every time because the controlled lion is much safer than the tame lion. There's something about being around a tame lion I think that would make me a little bit nervous. It would be unsettling because he still has lethal potential. Something could go wrong. But the controlled lion, <laughs> he can do no harm. Well, I want us to move to the text of the book of James today and see the importance not of taming our tongues because it can't be done but rather controlling our tongues. And I want us to look, first of all, at the tied tongue, and then secondly, at the tried tongue. Now, we learn about the tied tongue in the first chapter, beginning in verse 19, where James writes these words. My dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, for man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. If anyone considers himself religious yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. So this keeping a tight rein on the tongue is what we're talking about. 
when we talk about the tied tongue. I want you to notice the sequence here. He says, first of all, be quick to listen. That's what comes first. Being anxious, being alert, being available to listen. And then if we're good listeners, we're going to be more likely to be, here it is, slow to speak. And this phrase means to be controlled in our speech. And finally then, if you're controlled in your speech, it means that you're going to be slow to anger. You're going to be controlled in your temperament. Now, since next week we're going to talk about controlling your temper, (laughs) we can all look forward to that next week. This week, let's just focus on the first two imperatives that are found in verse 19. Be quick to listen and be slow to speak. Now, do you suppose that maybe one of these is more applicable to men and one is more applicable to women? Seems to me that men break down more when it comes to being quick to listen and women break down more when it comes to being slow to speak. I'm just saying, do you want a good life now or not? Be quick to listen. Now, guys, this is why God created you with two ears and only one mouth. It's so you'll do twice as much listening as you do speaking. And as you very well know, communication is the foundation of any and all relationships. If there's no communication, then the other person is dead to you. Because because in death, there's no longer a relationship because communication ceases. No communication, no relationship. And the dead hear not, the dead speak not. Now, conversations, especially in marriage, sometimes go badly because husbands or wives, usually husbands, don't start out as good listeners. And listen, men, listening is the best nonverbal expression of love. Let me say that again. Listening is the best nonverbal expression of love. So here's my counsel to my brothers. Learn through study and my own personal trial and error about how to listen effectively. It starts with concentration. And this is very hard for a man to do. Guys, here's where you start. Make eye contact the first thing. If you make eye contact, then she's going to assume that you are listening. And that's a good start. So if you happen to be watching a Colts game, if you happen to be watching a Colts game, quick, use the TiVo feature. You can catch up during the commercials. If you're reading a newspaper, put it down. If you're in the garage or another room, immediately relocate. And if you're engaged with something electronic, stick it in your pocket pronto. Notice her body language. Notice her facial expression. That's going to tell you a lot. You look into her eyes and see if there's anger or joy or confusion or sadness or excitement and lean forward and nod. (laughs) Ask for more information. Let your face say, tell me more, tell me more. Men, temporarily redefine yourself as her best girlfriend. Listen with your eyes, listen with your ears, listen with your head, listen 
with your heart. Concentrate on your mate giving her 100% of your attention. Do it at least 15 minutes a day. Hey, this would be a great start for some of us. What else? After concentration, there's got to be consideration. Be thoughtful. Listen just not to what they say, but what they mean. Now, this is where it gets to be rocket science for men. Because sometimes, sometimes their words are poorly chosen. Sometimes the phrases don't come out right. Don't jump to conclusions, for goodness sake. Don't be argumentative. Don't be defensive. That's not masculine, men. Avoid whining whenever possible. Be gracious and mature. Realize that sometimes people say things they don't mean. Develop a thicker skin. So there's concentration, and then there's consideration, and finally there's clarification. Now listen, in communication, it's not what you say, it's what the other person hears. So there's sometimes a need for us to clarify. Ladies, you might want to ask him, so tell me what you think I said. What did you hear me say? This will help us understand each other. If you tell him, repeat what you think I said so we can be clear. Ah, these questions have really helped me to become a better listener. I tell you, when you know the teacher's going to call on you in class, you pay better attention to what's going on in the class. There's a cartoon from Leadership Magazine. It shows a line of, of pews in church. And the pastor's in the front pew, and, uh, and he makes the statement, I was here late. Now, someone in the second pew overheard that and said, the pastor has an earache. In the third pew, somebody said, the pastor's got a hearing aid. Fourth pew, the pastor's having trouble hearing. Fifth pew, an older lady walks out. She says, that does it. I'm out of here. The pastor's got a double earring. Well, sometimes there's a need for clarification. Communication is not what you say. It's what they hear. Be quick to listen. Now, secondly, he says be slow to speak, and he's talking here about controlling the content of our speech. And as you know, there's a lot in Proverbs about the wisdom of this. For instance, in Proverbs, the 10th chapter, it says, when words are many, sin is not absent, but he who holds his tongue is wise. Proverbs 17, a man of knowledge uses his words with restraint. Even a fool is thought wise if he keeps silent and discerning if he holds his tongue. And then Proverbs 21 says, he who guards his mouth and his tongue keeps himself from calamity or from trouble. Now, let me tell you some mistakes that we make in our speech. Sometimes we play roles that are actually communication killers. For instance, sometimes you can, you can slip into the role of a judge. We take the position of being the prosecuting attorney and the judge. So accusing words like, you always or you never are going to result in a bad outcome. What you should say instead is, 
I feel, or I need, or it seems to me. Here's some, here's some real communication killers from the judge. I told you so. You sound like your mother. You sound like your father. You're always in a bad mood. You just don't think. It's your fault. All you ever do is complain. I can't do anything to please you. You are getting what you deserve. You are impossible. If you don't like it, you can leave. All you ever do is think of yourself. You're such a baby. You always have to be right. Now, I know I have stepped on some of your best lines right there. But listen, these are all phrases the judge would use. Don't do it. Don't do it. Or you can slip into the, into the role of the professor. Now, the professor always acts superior. He always talks down to the other person in a conversation. This is stupid. You're illogical. If you had good sense, you would know that's dumb. How about this one? You wouldn't understand if I told you. One man said to his wife, how could God make you so dumb and yet so beautiful at the same time? And she answered, well, that's, that's easy. God made me beautiful so you'd be attracted to me. He made me dumb so I'd be attracted to you. <laughs> Listen, professor, if you're attacking their self-worth, I promise you the conversation will quickly degenerate. Well, you, you can also slip into the, the uh, psychologist's frame of mind. Now, this is the person who's always psychoanalyzing why the other person says what they says, says what they say or does what they do. So, so the psychologist will say, let me tell you why you said that. Uh, let me tell you why you did that. And the psychologist tries to get into the other person's head and analyze their motives, and only God can truly discern the thoughts and intents of the heart. Well, then there's the historian. In 1 Corinthians 13, it says, love keeps no record of wrongs. But sometimes... A person to whom you're talking will go back and reference something that was supposedly resolved days or weeks or months or even years ago. One man said, when I argue with my wife, she gets historical. His friend said, don't you mean hysterical? He said, no, historical. She goes back and digs up all these things from the past. Don't do that. Gently close the door on yesterday especially the unpleasant things from the past that have been resolved with an apology and forgiveness. Well, then there's the dictator. The dictator is a bully. Occasionally it's the woman, but usually it's the man in the marriage who says, I won't allow it. This is unacceptable. You do this. You do that. And when you begin to demand and coerce, listen, 
you have lost control of your tongue. Now let me go on and say that if you're laying hands on your wife, the weaker vessel, if you're grabbing and squeezing her arm, you're shaking her, you're pinning against the wall, you're pushing her, anybody who does that is a bully and a coward and he ought to be tied to a wagon wheel and horsewhipped. I don't think I've ever said that in a sermon before. I... <laughs> Do not ever lay your hands on your wife in anger. And then, then there are the men who have the idea that all the money is theirs to control in the marriage if they bring home a bigger paycheck. I'm telling you, that's mentally cruel, it's demeaning to your wife, it's not living considerately with your wife, it's not bestowing honor on her as the weaker vessel. Sometimes. Sometimes affection is withheld. Sometimes bullying takes the form of prolonged silence or sulking or pouting. The dictator says, I can do a better job with your life than you can, and when I want your opinion, I'll give it to you. Don't be a dictator. Then there's a the critic. Never compare your mate to any other individual. Never say, why can't you be like so and so. And above all, never criticize your mate for something your mate has no control over. Don't criticize his upbringing. Don't criticize her physical traits. These are things they may not be able to change. Never use the Bible as a club to beat up your husband or your wife. Don't try to come across as spiritually superior. That'll only alienate your mate from the love of the Lord. Ruth Graham wrote to wives about marriage and she said, it's your job to love your husbands, it's God's job to change him. So in the words of James, here it is, keep, keep a tight rein on your mouth, keep a tight rein on your tongue. Well, we move from the tied tongue then to the tried tongue. That's in chapter 3. We who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Now, we who teach will be judged. We will be tried. That is, we will be tried by other people or we will be judged by other people. Now, we all face three judgments. Number one is our judgment of ourselves. You have an opinion of yourself. You judge yourself, your attitudes, your actions. Then there is the judgment of other people. Other people are watching us, listening to us, and they make assessments about who we are, what we're really like. Then thirdly, there's the judgment of God. So what are we talking about here when he says, we who teach will be judged more strictly? Well, I'm convinced he's not talking about our judgment of ourselves. He's talking not about the judgment of God. In this passage, in context, he's talking about the judgment of other people. We who are in positions to influence are going to be judged more strictly. And I wish I had time to treat this entire passage, but if we're going to get through everything James has to say about the tongue in a single sermon, we've got to do some compression. So here's what I want you to see in this section by way of application. 
Whether you realize it or not, you are a teacher. Now, in this passage, James is talking about a more formalized role. But there's a sense in which all of us teach whether we realize it or not. Somebody is paying attention to the way you live. Somebody is paying attention to the words you use. It may be a son or daughter. maybe a grandson or granddaughter. maybe a sibling. It may be someone who works with you in the workplace. It may be, it may be your neighbor. Someone is going to notice it. If your words do not match up to your profession of faith in Jesus Christ, and they're going to judge you. They're going to try you more strictly because of that. And the text here suggests that, that people should be able to hear consistency in our words, and they ought to be able to see integrity in our life. If we have professed our faith in Christ, if He is our Savior and Lord of our lives, then our life should be an open book. We ought to be able to say to people, go ahead. Go ahead, judge, judge me, try me, see if I'm genuine or not. And in these verses that follow, verses 1 to 12 in chapter 3, James gives us several word pictures of the tongue that help us see, that impress on us how small and yet how significant it is. The first metaphor he uses is that of a bit. He says in verse 3, we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us when we do that we can turn the whole animal. So what is a bit? Well, a bit is a small piece of metal that you put in the mouth of a horse. It is connected to the, the reins. And you can control a very powerful animal, directing the horse wherever you want it to go, to the left, to the right, pull back, and it'll stop by creating pressure against the horse's tongue. You get control of a horse's mouth. You get control of a horse's tongue and you control that horse's body. Likewise, you get control of your mouth. You get control of your tongue. And it's going gonna, it's gonna to control some things about you. And then he mentions a rudder in verses 4 and 5 of chapter 3. He says, although ships are so large and driven by strong winds, they're steered by a very small Rudder. So what determines where a ship goes? The size of the ship? No. The velocity of the winds? No. What determines where a ship goes? The rudder determines where the ship goes. And the proportion of the rudder to the ship is very small, but it determines where the entire ship goes. And likewise, our tongue is like a rudder in our lives. What we say yes to, what we say no to, is going to take us upward or downward, it's going to take us forward, or it's going to take us backward in our quality of life. Again, your tongue controls your life direction. Your tongue controls whether or not you arrive at the destination that you want to arrive at in life. The dominant force in determining the direction of your life is this little muscle between your teeth that's not as big as your heart. Well, then he talks about the tongue being a fire. In verse 6, he says, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. 
It corrupts a whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Now, the first two metaphors talk about the power of the tongue to control our bodies, control our life's direction, but the reference to fire here makes it clear that the tongue has this incredible power not only to direct but also to destroy. James chapter 3, verse 5 in this passage says, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Well, the small spark is the tongue that can, can, that can kindle a huge fire. The corrupting influence of the tongue reaches out in these ever-widening circles. And that's been impressed on us in just the last few days when there have been words that have been put with images, but if it was just the images, it wouldn't have any impact. It's the words put with those images in that piece that's on YouTube that has resulted in the deaths of 47 People. Now, we're familiar with the freedom of speech in this country, but in other cultures, they just don't allow it. They don't tolerate it. And as a result, it's kindled a fire. Now, we need to know that the tongue has this kind of impact. Our words have this kind of impact. A few years ago, somebody came up with this little rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Now, whoever made that up is just a lunatic. It's just not true. I don't remember sticks and stones and broken bones in my personal history, but you know what? I can, I can think of things that, that people have said to me through my past that, that were hard to forget, you know. Words are very damaging, and so that's why in Scripture you find all these warnings about this fire, this fire of the tongue. For instance, gossip. Now, gossip can be light, newsy, social conversation, no problem, but if it becomes a malicious report about someone's character or it involves the divulging of confidential information that's been entrusted to you by someone else, then it's going to ignite a fire. Television has made gossip a form of entertainment, but it can be demeaning to you and it'll always be damaging to someone else. If you are known as gossip, a gossip, you do not want to be known as a gossip. It's demeaning to you and it's damaging to someone else. So gossip is a part of this fire. Slander is a part of this fire. That's mentioned in James 4.11. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother judges him. Who are you to judge your neighbor. Friends, listen. This is something we need to get hold of. Anyone who speaks against his brother judges him. Who are you to judge your neighbor? We need to think, think before we speak. Then he mentions boasting, James chapter 4, verse 16. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting, he says, is evil. And it's talking in context about planning your life without any kind of consultation from God. No prayer, no thoughtfulness about God's best. You just say, well, today or tomorrow I'm going to go here and there and do this or that. It's just you're planning your life without the partnership of your heavenly Father. And that's evil when you boast like that. I'm going to live my life without God. I don't need His involvement. Look at number four. It's unwholesome talk. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 and following says, There should not even be a hint of sexual immorality 
or the use of obscenities or coarse joking, which are improper for God's holy people. Boom. Just like that, we've wiped out 60%, 65% of all television programming and probably 80% of motion picture programming. Not even a hint. That's what he says. Somebody said, well, I, don't, I think that's overblown. I think that's too extreme. I think that's too narrow. Hey, I'm just the UPS messenger. I'm just delivering the package. This is what it says. There should not be a hint of sexual immorality or the use of obscenities or coarse joking which are not proper for God's holy people. Listen, I hear things talked about openly today that I never heard in a football locker room as a young man in four years. Sexual humor, innuendo, racial slurs, they're everywhere today. That doesn't make it right. You've got to decide where you're going with your life. The best way to control unwholesome talk, in my opinion, is to avoid the questionable topics. And if you avoid the questionable topics, you don't have to worry about using the wrong words. Number five, he talks about put-downs. This is James chapter 5, verse 9. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. Now, again, strong, strong words about the tongue and controlling the tongue. This is not some lightweight kind of topic from the book of James. This is heavy-duty stuff. This is heavy-duty stuff. When it talks about the judge standing at the doors, it talks about being condemned. I take it that this is serious business. And our tendency to just kind of run off at the mouth and let the chips fall where they may has serious consequences in our lives. So James likens the tongue to a bit. He likens the tongue to a rudder, and he likens the tongue to fire. I, I don't think I mentioned he uh, mentioned swearing up here in James chapter 5, verse 12. Brothers, don't swear. Let your yes be yes, your no by no, no be no. That just means be a person of your word. Let your words matter. Don't say, well, I, I swear to God this or that. Or say, just say yes or no. And if you're known as somebody who can, could, can be trusted, if you say yes, you mean yes, you say no, and you mean no, you go through life like that, boy, you will develop a reputation you're going to love. Well, James says the tongue is like a bit, it's like a rudder, it's like a fire, and then he finally says it's like a spring. That's in verse 10 and following. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and bitter flow from the same spring? In other words, James is saying there should be a consistent goodness that is evident in the speech of a Christ follower. And it's an indictment of our spiritual maturity if we're praising God on the weekends in worship and we're cursing people made in God's image during the week. That's right out of the text. That's what he's saying, that both fresh water and bitter water should not come from the same spring. So be consistent in your speech, in controlling your tongue. Well, we've got to realize the destructive potential of our words. We've got to realize the consequences of failing to control our tongues because these consequences will be experienced in the lives of others and in our own lives. At the age of 32, singer Karen Carpenter died of heart failure, brought on by years of fighting and eating disorder. After her death, it came out that her fatal obsession with her weight was triggered by a single reviewer's words. 
Single reviewer's comments. When referring to Karen Carpenter, he identified her in print as Richard's chubby sister. Now, while I'm sure that other factors contributed to her struggles, one careless critic's words unleashed an avalanche of self-doubt which led to her tragic and premature death. The tongue is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. It cannot be tamed, so it's got to be controlled. Now, before I close, I want to speak to a more contemporary application of this message, and that is the appropriate use of social media. You see, this is a way that we can positively or negatively use our words, and we've got to be sensitive to the need to control our electronic tongues. We've got electronic tongues today. As a church family, I'd like to suggest that we start using Facebook and Twitter to advance God's purpose through the church. When you come to worship, I'd like to suggest that you check in at Crossroads if you do this sort of thing. I'm not on Facebook. My wife is. I read her Facebook, and I see that some of our people have checked in here, checked in there. Let me encourage you to let the people in your circle of acquaintance know that you've checked in at Crossroads. And when you've had an edifying experience in worship, when you've heard something in a message that's been meaningful or challenging, write it out. If there's some event coming up or some program that was a blessing to you, don't keep it to yourself. James 5.13 says, is anyone happy? Let him praise. In other words, if you're happy about something, if you're pleased about something, if something was gratifying, if it was good for you, then talk about it. Open your mouth. Let it be known. In that same section of Scripture, it says, is any among you troubled? Is any among you sorrowful? Is any uh, uh, among you uh, suffering? You know what it says to do? Let him pray. So, if there's something we don't like, if there's things not going well for us, then let's do this. Let's take it to the Lord in prayer. On the other hand, if it's good, ah, let it out. Let it rip. Some of you are already doing this. But together, I'd like to suggest that we carpet bomb the social media with our positive Christian witness. An easy thing to do. Share your testimony. Don't engage in any debate. It's hard to change someone's mind without a face-to-face -face conversation. Beware of this. Beware of using social media for personal therapy. <laughs> Think before you post. Think, T-H-I-N-K. Ask yourself this question. Teenagers, before you post, think, is it true? Is it helpful? Is it inspiring? Is it necessary? Is it kind? We've got to control our literal tongues. We've got to control our electronic tongues. If we want to honor God, if we want to experience His blessing, if we want to bless others. And you know what the greatest use of your tongue is? To confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Scripture says that someday every knee will bow.